Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Kate Bishop, Clint Barton, and Maya Lopez from the TV miniseries Hawkeye. Probably Elena, Jack, and Eleanor, too. Great group of characters in this. Joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Hawkeye is a miniseries that was on Disney Plus that tells the story of Kate Bishop deciding to be Clint Barton's protege, even though he does not want one. They must deal with the fallout <laughs> of Kate wearing the Ronin suit as Clint tries to get back home in time for Christmas. The series is partially based on the comic book series by uh, David Aha and Matt Fraction. The episodes were written by Jonathan Igla, Lisa Clement, Katie Mathewson, Tanner Bean, Aaron Cancino, Heather Quinn, and Jenna Noel Frazier. Three episodes were directed uh, by Rice Th- or Reese Thomas. I'm not 100% sure. I know I heard an interview with him, but now I'm I'm like having that interference where I'm worried whichever way I say it is wrong. Uh, <laughs> three were directed by... I, I heard the correct one, but my brother brain still has both of them yes <laughs> so i don't know which one i heard uh, three episodes were directed by bert and birdie who are writing and directing duo amber templemore finlayson and katie elwood and it stars Haley steinfeld as kate barton jeremy renner's clint barton and alakwa or sorry not kate uh, kate barton sorry kate bishop ah the bees jeremy renner's clint barton and alakwa cox as maya lopez andrew what were your feelings about Hawkeye? I mean, I know how you came to it. You're a fan of the MCU. If you're a fan of the mm-hmm. MCU, you have Disney Plus and you're familiar with the streaming services they've been doing. <laughs> yeah, and so you have the option to to watch it. But overall, I I really enjoyed it. I got into it very quickly. I think like the first episode, I don't know how far into it. It wasn't immediate, but by the end of the episode, I was like, okay, I really like the tone and energy that is going into this. It has a very good superhero. I mean, and like, I don't know the exact words that I want to use for it. It, it has an energy that is not 100% the rest of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, so I'm sorry if listeners are hearing me reiterate, but I love that they pulled back from like cosmic threat, cosmic threat, multiverse threat, going to destroy all of reality to uh, this dad really needs to get home for Christmas. <laughs> like that's a stake mm-hmm. that... It, it works and it gives you like a countdown through like because every episode's like a day leading up to Christmas. It's like, oh, he's not going home yet. Oh, not going home yet. Oh, we're on Christmas Eve. Ah! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, 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 like, there's <laughs> there's something to. I mean, there are equally valid and totally different types of this is important. You know, that that can happen, right? This is important because the entire universe is is going to be destroyed or this is really important because I am trying to get something done. Yeah. And it's important to me and, and my kids. Be, and and, yeah, and, and it can be really, <laughs> really easy to lose sight of how compelling, like this is important to me, but if I don't get it done, ultimately nothing bad's really going to happen. And nobody else is really going to care. Like, like I have faith that his family would survive him not being home for Christmas. Yes. Like it's going to suck, but it's not like, Oh, this is going to break apart my family. This is going to lead to a divorce. It's like, no, it just means that he really like couldn't pull through. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have any stakes on that. And it's like, I just really want him to get this win. I want him to succeed at this. I want his family to be happy. Right. I, and that's kind of the level of any, I'll be home for Christmas kind of premise. It's like, okay, but if you're not, you're just like, presents as soon as you get it, home. <laughs> and yeah. Then- like, it's not this great. happens to people no. all the time like people like flights get canceled and people miss christmas it happens yeah emotionally not fun but 
as far as, uh, you know, ripple effects through the multiverse, which is what Marvel has been dealing with for the last wave of series. None. Mm-hmm. And but still it compels you because it's like, oh, these are the stakes. And whether they're big or little stakes, if I understand the stakes, mm-hmm. I can engage with it. All right. Let me give you a little bit of trivia. Uh, before we run through the summary of this. So Hawkeye consisted of six episodes that were released between November 24th and December 22nd, 2021. While a second season has not been announced, uh, a series focusing on the Maya, Maya Lopez Echo character uh, that was introduced in Hawkeye is in development. Matt Fraction, who wrote the comic book series, was uh, that was a major influence on the plot and the tone of the show, was a consultant on the series. And he had a planned cameo as a member of the Tracksuit Mafia, but COVID made travel and filming impossible for him. Ah. And Alakwa Cox, who plays Maya Lopez, is a deaf actress from the Menominee Indian Reservation in Wisconsin. This is her first acting role. And uh, they're giving her a spinoff series that she's the anchor of as Echo on Disney+. Plus. So I was impressed with her. Uh, and then when I heard mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, so she's playing a deaf character, but she herself is deaf and also has um, a prosthetic, which the character um, has in the show. Um, she nailed like strong emotion with her facial acting she she gave me everything i wanted <laughs> from, from the character of echo yeah. really so i think yeah this and was I excellent think, casting and they had already announced the echo series before hawkeye came out so they you know they had indicated that there was faith in this character mm-hmm. um by by doing that announcement but i mean those announcements are never a hundred percent like is it definitely going to happen until it actually happens and so even though they had announced it and so you have an anticipation like okay they liked where this was going you still have to like wait and see uh but i i think it was i i think her performance was very solid and i think her character was um was good and i'd be happy to watch more yeah well before we move on to the full summary of the episodes we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast and we also give upset updates on our fantasy box office so long as it can carry on which at the moment i believe many things are pausing so we will see i don't know when this episode is going to drop but what i what i just said is probably applicable it feels like <laughs> whenever this episode drops like there's a multi-month window where we may be dropping this hopefully episode. <laughs> hopefully you sound totally out of touch yes that's the dream because i may even hold this episode till december well we'll see because it's you know it's christmas themed uh, so we'll find out uh all patrons and supporters with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on to the full plot summary andrew <laughs> before i do this i'll just give you a quick peek behind the curtain today uh i lectured for two classes in the morning then I had a brief break where I dealt with the fallout of a punctured tire. And then I lectured for three hours mm-hmm. straight. And then I came home to do this double recording of podcasts. I don't know how my voice is going to do. We'll find out. <laughs> I get that feeling because yeah. sometimes uh, on Tuesdays, I'm, I'm usually, you know, right after a training session mm-hmm. where I've done, you know, three to four hours. I have some honeyed uh, apple cider to help me through the <laughs> evening. Episode one. Never meet your heroes. A young Kate Bishop sees Hawkeye fighting during the Battle of New York before her home is damaged and her father is killed. We jump to a year uh, after Avengers Infinity War and Clint Barton, which is like the MCU 
present day right now for us, I guess. <laughs> uh, Clint Barton is taking his three kids around New York. They go see the musical Rogers. Real quick, Joseph, yeah. just to just to be a stickler, this is going to be a year after Endgame. Oh, did I say not, not Infinity War. Right, Endgame. Uh, which apparently they debated how, which, if this is going to be one or two years after, because there's some, uh, some like, Happy New Year's with 2020, and then they see like CGI'd some stuff in the way of it so that you couldn't read what year it was supposed to be because they 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 just couldn't settle on what year it was. But it had said, I think 2024, which is two years ahead of when that one was because it's you know there, there was the time um, jump in Endgame. So yeah, Endgame is is around 2023. And I think it ish. It said 2025 maybe, and then they're like, well, no, we want it to be 2024. So they just CGI'd some stuff in, in front of the Happy New Year signs. <laughs> Um, Clint Barton is taking his three kids around New York. They go see the musical Rogers, which gives Barton some PTSD, like flashbacks, because he's seeing some of the most dramatic days of his life <laughs> done with singing and dancing. And some of mm-hmm. like really uh, famous New York Broadway actors performing um, in these roles. Like uh, the, the one like Citizen who does a lot of singing, I know, was um, an original lead in Rent. Uh <laughs> So Marvel can just pull in people for a day of silliness. I love it. Um, Kate Bishop goes to a big party her mom is having. Kate sneaks into a secret black market art auction that is happening in the basement. And she sees her mom's new boyfriend, uh, Jack uh, Duquesne. That's his name, right? I said the name, right? I think I think so. It's a swordsman from the comics, right? Um, her- uh, I I believe that is the case. Oh, I'm sure it's the case. <laughs> this is uh, I know I know that trivia from the 80s. <laughs> now, now, but admittedly, if you're reading it in the comics, you probably wouldn't know necessarily how to pronounce that name because it is the like French Jack Duquesne. Yes, that's true. I am sure I mispronounced it for most of my life. Um, let's see. He is there to bid on Ronin's sword. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember in Endgame, we found out that after the blip or the snap they keep changing what they're calling it uh hawkeye's family disappeared into into smoke and dust and he went very dark and put on a costume called the ronin and he went around killing organized crime bosses that were uh attacking innocent people so he definitely became basically the punisher and was killing lots and lots of people as ronin uh and no one knows that it was really him in the ronin costume so the auction is attacked. Kate grabs a Ronin costume from the pile of goods that are about to be auctioned off and puts it on before trying to stop the attackers. She runs from the auction and rescues a stray dog who she takes home before going to investigate someone that she saw at the auction. When she reaches that house, the man is already dead. Uh, episode two, hide and seek. Barton sees reports of Ronan running around and he goes to find out who this is and he finds Kate in the Ronin costume. They go back to her apartment so that she can give him the Ronin suit. The tracksuit mafia attack and when I say the tracksuit mafia, that is literally what they're called. <laughs> it's a bunch of mm-hmm. vaguely Eastern European, probably Russian uh, mobsters who wear tracksuits. And yep. this, that is accurate from the Hawkeye comic book by Matt Fraction. Uh, so the tracksuit mafia followed her there earlier when she dropped the dog off and they burned her apartment down. Barton and Bishop go and hide out at Kate's aunt's apartment. Barton goes back to find the Ronin suit from Kate's apartment, but discovers that a fireman who is also a LARPer has taken it from the apartment. Barton researches what LARPing is and realizes this guy wants it as a LARPing costume. Uh, So he goes to a LARPing event in Central Park. I love this sequence where he finds a man named Grills wearing the Ronin suit and he gets it back after like there's a sequence where he walks through all these LARPers and it's done in slow-mo like it's a really fancy action shot and he's just could not care less (laughs) about these idiots that are attacking him with foam swords (laughs) in his mind. He's like, I fought Thanos. What 
what is happening here? Uh, Kate Bishop confronts her mom's new boyfriend, Jack Duquesne, and challenges him to a fencing match. Kate wins, but is sure Jack has been holding back. Clint hides the Ronin suit and lets himself get captured by the tracksuit mafia so he can discover what they want with Ronin. Kate is sure Clint is in trouble and tracks his phone. Her, her mom runs a security company, and she illegally uses that to access where his phone is. And she ruins his plan of tricking the tracksuit mafia into believing that Kate Bishop has nothing to do with Ronin when she is promptly captured during her rescue attempt. Episode three, Echoes. We meet Maya Lopez, whose father was killed by Ronan. She's deaf, and she breaks Clint's hearing aid, telling him he relies too much on technology. Oh, by the way, in this, we find out that he's had hearing damage from all the explosions he's been in close proximity to, which is comic accurate that he is uh, deaf and has a hearing aid in the, in the comics. Uh, because in the comics, it was a sonic arrow went off too near to his ear, went off when he was he was pulling it back, I believe, and uh, damaged his hearing. In this, they just do like a montage of him near explosions. It's like, oh, they have a lot of footage of that. <laughs> You can definitely show this. Uh, Kay, uh, Maya Lopez seems to be in charge of the tracksuit mafia. There's a big fight and car chase. It's very well done. I'm not going to describe it. And Clint and Kate escape. Maya is warned not to upset her uncle by pursuing Barton and Bishop. Uh, Barton and Bishop go to Kate's mom's house to find out more about Jack, but he is there waiting for them. Episode four partners am i right barton promises kate's mom that he'll leave kate out of whatever his mission is besides the rodent suit clint wants to recover a watch that was at the auction he tracks the watch to an apartment and plans to break in when kate pretty much beats him to it she goes in but discovers it is maya lopez's apartment a big fight between bishop barton and lopez ensues but also there is a masked additional fighter who joins the battle Clint recognizes that this is a black widow assassin during the fight which ends in a stalemate with everyone going their separate ways Kate is kicked off the building in a scene that is reminiscent of Black Widow's death in Endgame. Though she survives, Clint tells her he cannot put her in danger anymore, and she's fired as being the uh, sidekick that he never wanted anyway. Episode 5, Ronan. The Black Widow uh, that was on the roof is Natasha's little sister, Yelena. She goes to Kate's apartment, even though it's burned. <laughs> it's a burned-out husk. And he, Kate shows up there, and they have an amazing scene together. Their repartee and their on-screen chemistry is amazing. I love Yelena and uh, Kate Bishop. In scenes together they should have a buddy show on disney plus clint crashes at grill's apartment the larper he's now best friends with uh kate's mom looks into jack's history and discovers that he's the head of a shell corporation associated with the tracksuit mafia and she has him arrested though he insists that he has been framed barton puts on the ronin suit and confronts echo trying to convince her to let the vendetta against ronin go he says ronin was tipped off about her father's location so we found out i think i left this out but we found out that uh ronin killed echo's father and Ronan uh, says that he was tipped off about her father's location from someone inside the track suit mafia. And that's why her father died. So uh, now Echo thinks someone inside wanted her father killed, basically. Yelena texts Kate a photo of her mother, uh, Kate's mother, meeting with a mysterious man that Clint identifies as the Kingpin, a crime leader in New York, who was featured in the Daredevil Netflix series that may or may not be canon in the MCU. <laughs> Mm -hmm. episode six so this is christmas everything comes to head at a big christmas eve party we discover kate's mom is a crime boss and did actually frame jack she's been working with a kingpin but she wants out the tracksuit mafia show up and try to kill eleanor for quitting kingpin's crime ring and also barton because he's there <laughs> maya lopez is there suspecting the kingpin manipulated ronin into killing her father new black widow is there still trying to finish her hit on barton whom she blames for natasha's death in the end Yelena accepts that Barton did not kill Natasha and lets him leave. Kate and Clint have a big fight with lots of the tracksuit mafia, and they win. Maya Lopez confronts Kingpin and shoots him. Nobody for the uh, nobody is shown on screen, though, so don't assume he's dead. Eleanor is arrested. Clint and Kate make it back to the family farm for Christmas with his family, and they burn the Ronin suit, and he gives his wife the watch, which confirms her identity as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. The end. A lot of what I cut out was fighting. This show had pretty good action, but I did not summarize it. Yeah. 
that's that is reasonable. I mean, they they had some like pretty long action sequences, like like more than ten minutes. The, the car chase cases. one in episode three, I think, mm-hmm. is definitely a highlight for the Disney Plus action scenes they've yeah. put together. Um, I don't know what the budget was, but it felt like big screen action on a TV miniseries. Yeah. Um. What? Do you want to talk about first? I think there's a lot to dig into, both what's successful and what's not. Should we get out of the way what's what maybe wasn't quite as successful for us, and then yeah, you know, finish off with a positive note? You know, a de- a deal with anything that bugs you. Okay, I think this is something that I have seen with several of the Marvel shows on Disney Plus. They can do an excellent setup. They cannot always pay it off in a way that I find satisfactory. So, for example, in the uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, like they set up. Um, uh, U.S. agent. What's it? What's the his name? His secret identity? Uh, John Walker. John Walker, like going bad and killing someone on camera. Like it was a such a moment at the end of the episode. Uh, and and then I felt like the payoff, like like he never felt this the payoff happen <laughs> that he had tarnished the Captain America legacy to that degree, right? Uh, right. And I think with this one, they introduce like the, the episode where they introduce Echo. It is amazing. Like they give you so much backstory and character motivation. And I felt like I knew who Echo was in five minutes of screen time. And it's astounding. And I don't feel like all of her issues with Barton and Kate Bishop and Ronan mm-hmm. got paid off uh, within this. And some of that maybe they're setting it up for a spinoff. But it felt like a thread that never got tied off. Like similarly, throughout the whole thing, Clint Barton is talking about oh, the big guy, the big guy. And we find out it's it's uh, Kingpin, which is like a big reveal for fans of Marvel. And particularly fans of Marvel who wanted uh daredevil and kingpin from the netflix miniseries to be brought in and daredevil was brought in in spider-man no way home and uh kingpin in this but then barton and kingpin never have a scene together (laughs) because there's so much going on like there's so many uh pieces uh being moved around the board that they actually never have a scene together even though like it the implication is he has some sort of history with with kingpin in some way i don't know what it is after this and so Mm-hmm. I love the setups that we get for so many of these characters. I just feel like we maybe needed one more episode to let everyone actually finish out what we'd been interest, introduced to as an audience. Yeah. So the, the pace kind of it, 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 it's a little wonky on the last two episodes. In the last one, like so much is going on uh, and I may like I'm able to follow the action. I just don't feel like uh, all the relationships that have been set up have really been concluded, even like uh like I would have loved one more scene with Clint Barton and like thinking of the LARPers who, who kind of saved his bacon mm-hmm. a little bit or something. I was like going to, I was going to say like one of my big issues is like, I don't know if all of the LARPer stuff like quite comes home, yeah, especially the, in the last, in the last episode. episode, particularly, I think up until the last episode, everything is working fine. Yes. And, but also I'm not a hundred percent sure. Like, okay, what is the tone that I'm supposed to view them with? Is it supposed to be like comical disdain? for them being goofy and silly or is it like oh like no like this is their community and this Mm -hmm. is important to them and it's a way for them to express themselves and like i wasn't quite sure the tone that i was supposed to get from it and i think that it is in part because in the last episode it's especially weird yeah i agree like they they put on their larping costumes and direct direct (laughs) yeah to direct the crowd i'm like i don't like why like, are they supposed mm-hmm. to be listening to you because you're in costume or, you know, so I don't quite get that. And so I'd say overall, um, like, I'm not upset that it's in there mm-hmm. and I don't think it's goofy to use the LARPers yeah. as, you know, part of the story. 
and I it, it, absolutely it adore some t- of the scenes. It with doesn't him. totally come home. I agree with that. I think yeah. that's a really valid critique, and I had I hadn't thought of it that way. But what you're you're saying, I absolutely felt too. The last thing I'll say, um, I think they do a very interesting thing in terms of the motivation for so many of these characters with grief and loss. And we can circle back to the mm-hmm. things I want to praise with that. But one of the major motivations for Clint, well, I guess there's two things when it comes to motivations I don't think quite work. Um, one is his like guilt about his time as Ronin and his kind of need to try and atone for that. I don't get any sense that he's actually atoned for anything. <laughs> like he's just mm-hmm. kind of still trying to cover up. Uh, his time is Like it's set up as though he needs to make up for his time is Ronin, but in the end, he just kind of wants to bury it under the rug. And in doing so, like Kate finds out that he's Ronin and she does stuff like she is so horrified by her mom being involved in crime that she sends her mom to jail on Christmas Eve. She finds out Clint was Ronin and killed dozens, possibly hundreds, probably hundreds of people. And she's just kind of like, sorry. <laughs> and, and it's kind of why like Punisher doesn't really work for me as a character other than as an antagonist, because you can't root for that <laughs> even if everyone he killed was a bad guy you can't root for him to have a happy ending really uh and they did that for clint's character and it felt like they wanted to try to try and acknowledge and pay it off but they they couldn't find a way to do it so in the end they just kind of like mm-hmm. said look he's burning his running suit we're, we're moving on yeah and i and i don't know like what if they went went into the writing room and thought about like okay how are we going to disguise or obscure this or if they just you know okay we're doing it and this is the kind of tone that we're going to have where she has you know tons of forgiveness for him and i think some of it it i mean if i'm gonna try and create uh, a reasoning and rationale for her character and everything is she looks at clint as a protector and she trusts that you know he's he did not hurt people Mm-hmm. meaning like innocent people right. you know and and she looks at her mom and she says oh you are hurting innocent people yes i can and, I can and so she doesn't have that that empathy because you know we get the the introduction where she first sees him in the battle of new york and it's like oh he's saving us he's protecting mm-hmm. us um and because and 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 maybe they deal with it at some point and she has to come to grips with like oh i i kind of idolized him and let him walk away with a lot of stuff that really isn't fair right um but but she doesn't have any of that sympathy for her mother because she's, she looks at her mom and she says oh like you got in too deep and you didn't try to take care of it mm-hmm. like you you went in deeper yeah I can um, say, and I can that say, sort of so stuff I'm, it's, I'm, instead I'm, of it's like, like facing consequences and it's not like yeah it's not like clint is really facing consequences but the tone of his attitude is that he's trying to deal with consequences. Yeah. And uh, I, um, I remember and, uh, reading the, somewhere that uh, Jeremy Renner wanted to do like a really dark brooding uh, Hawkeye. And that's not the tone of this. And so maybe whenever they mm-hmm. do try and go there, it feels a little incongruous and it's something they did because Jeremy Renner wanted to do that, but it does not fit like the, the Christmas tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it sticks out um, a little more. And like I said, I still overall enjoyed that. I, and that feels like a major complaint. I just, I, I almost wish they just hadn't really raised the Ronin stuff at all. If they weren't going to find a way to, to address it with more depth. Yeah. And, uh, but it, it is also like fully evident through this is like, he regrets mm-hmm. becoming Ronin, right? He is, he has remorse as he faces Maya and he knows that he's guilty as he faces Maya. Yeah. Um, of what she's accusing him of. Um, so there, there is some remorse to that and he's, he's not trying to make excuses for it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other, my, my only other nit to pick is 
Jack. And it's just because like they play him so untrustworthy. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it was such a red herring. It's almost, it's, I couldn't, I couldn't ever like, really yeah. think he was a threat. And so, well, I just couldn't, I couldn't get a read on him at all mm-hmm. because he seemed snide. Yeah. To Kate. So like, so sincerely snide to her about and all kinds of stuff. Charming and, like, and it was paternal towards her by the end. Yes. And I really like him in the, at the end. But I was like, but this seems so inconsistent. So it like the actor is definitely like, okay, I need to perform my red herring. Yeah. I can't be. It, so it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't seem consistent all and the I way wonder through. If, it seems like an inconsistency for him. I wonder if on but a rewatch. But by the end, I do like him. If a re- on a rewatch where we know this is all red herring and the actor's really charming, would we be able to read that, oh, he's going for charming, but he like because of her distrust, she can't see the charm. Uh, and we as an audience mm-hmm. are seeing her as our point of view character. So we don't see any charm. But then when you rewatch it, you're like, ah, I see what he's trying to do. He's, you know, he really is going and for maybe it, some sort of paternal uh, repartee. And, and yeah, maybe it would be in in a rewatch because in the finale, I'm remembering he does have that interaction with a child. Yeah. <laughs> and he seems kind of petty. Oh, he's and so he's petty. Like, oh, towards that child. I oh, adore he, that scene. That actor he is trying to be. He's amazing. He, he, I really liked him by the end. Oh, I he's got a great him. smile. And it's like when he, when he says, um, like, do you remember when you wet your pants? Everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I'm wondering, it's like, oh, maybe he just doesn't know how to interact with Kate. Maybe he has like nieces and nephews who are 10 and he doesn't know how to deal with an 18 year old. Also needs to be um, said. And so, so he's being kind of petty to her, but it comes off as sinister because she is so suspicious. Like she has sincere suspicion and he's playing it. Like this is a, a nerf game. Yeah. And he, he does. And, go. But to, she's treating it like like real weapons. He goes to Eleanor's big work Christmas Eve party in a fancy suit wearing a sword belt and a sword. And if you can carry that off, which he does, you're amazing as a character. Like I'm fully yeah. I, I want more of you on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's such a weird balance. And so on a rewatch, it may be the difference. And maybe it's actually like mostly the music and not mm-hmm. his performance. Yes. That is. You know, doing this snide, knowing like I'm going to outsmart you. I'm better than you mm-hmm. at this. And 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 maybe he really is like, oh, he's trying to connect by being the goofy stepdad. Yes. Like he's trying to be goofy and it's just not quite. It doesn't work when your stepdaughter's going to be 22. Mm-hmm. And the, instead of instead of 12. I, and I swear my last complaint. And again, overall positive feelings towards the show. I didn't care about the watch as a subplot and it didn't matter in the end. <laughs> it, it feels like yeah. a little MacGuffin that I don't, we didn't even need that MacGuffin. <laughs> like, I, like it's a reveal. I feel like that Hawkeye's wife has a, her own history. That's really impressive, but like, I, I could believe that without this weird watch subplot mm-hmm. and, and the final reveal and, that it, has, it says agent 19 on the back didn't really like what, what would the villains do with this? Like, does this have more information hidden inside the watch somehow <laughs> that tracks to the Barton family farm? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and and like maybe it's supposed to mean that like he couldn't run away and just leave the suit or right or something. I think they were like trying to give stakes extra, that's more personal towards thing. his family. But I felt like the suit and his connection to Kate became the more yeah. significant motivation. And so without the watch, I don't think there's a a major concern. Okay, let's switch to praising the show. We've already done some with Jack Duquesne, mm-hmm. amazing character, fantastic performance. My other favorite performance though is uh, uh, what's her name? Is Yelena? <laughs> The, the, uh, the Flor- Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. She, I had no idea. She was so amazing, and I loved her in the in uh, the Black Widow movie. I really liked her in Little Women. Those are the things I've seen her in before: Little Women, Black Widow, and now this. But on this, something about her, in particular, interactions with Kate Bishop, it was 
so amazing. She owned the screen incredibly when she was in Kate's apartment and when they were in the elevator together mm-hmm. and uh, just just excellent. Uh, and, you know, like they're setting up a new generation of heroes to carry on the MCU. And Yelena is clearly going to be a key key figure in this, whether mm-hmm. it is as a member of the Young Avengers. Yes, probably. Uh, or um, just as a, you know, as a, At a, this point, a step in for Black Widow. Um and they can I, I think so they well. might just have to make it a new generation of Avengers at this point. And they can't make it like Young Avengers. Like we're using the Young Avengers characters, but they're just going to be the Avengers. Yeah. And same with, um, like I said, her charisma with with Kate Bishop. So Haley Steinfeld's performance is solid the mm-hmm. whole way through. Really good, particularly yeah. popping when she's with Yelena. The the Kate and Yelena scenes are so good. I would the, just go back and watch those by themselves. The whole conversation mm-hmm. about macaroni I, and cheese. <laughs> the, the two of them together were fantastic and and it made me appreciate like and i don't know like they can't manufacture that kind of like interaction mm-hmm. completely like it has to be some sort of you know chemistry in this case it, it feels like siblings or mm-hmm. or close roommates or something like that you know it, it feels like a a tight chemistry but like throughout all the avengers they've always established that like hawkeye and black widow are best friends mm-hmm. and now as they get to the next round of Avengers, Hawkeye and Black Widow are going to be best friends and they're going to be as you get like new interve- new Avengers interacting and new teams like there's going to be some catastrophe and it's going to be a different set of heroes stepping in as the Avengers. Like, you know, you, you have to anticipate that because mm-hmm. most of the old Avengers are retired or dead. Yeah. Or and the so, actors out of their contracts. <laughs> yeah. And so this new group's going to show up and Kate and and Yelena are going to know each other mm-hmm. just the same way that. Natasha and Clint did. And, and so you're going to have this camaraderie built into Hawkeye and, and black widow, but it's a new generation of Hawkeye and black widow. And I like that. That's going to be continuous, right? That's part of the legacy mm-hmm. is connecting to another person who their legacy has they're they're like they're inheriting a legacy from someone who has a connection to the person you're inheriting a legacy from yeah two things i want to say about that one uh there's a moment in this series where uh kate bishop asks clint about what his best shot was and he says it's the one i never took and uh after a little digging you find out that he was essentially hired to go assassinate uh black widow natasha and he chose not to uh and he says that's the best best shot he ever was the one he didn't take and there's a moment during the fight scene on the roof when we first when the black widow is fighting uh uh clint that kate bishop has a clean shot on the black widow and chooses not to take it (laughs) so they've already given her the choosing not to take it uh and i will even say throughout the avengers franchise we are told about natasha and clint's friendship i feel like i believe Kate and Yelena's friendship more after Mm -hmm. two episodes of screen time, you know, and and like two major scenes together than I did Jeremy Renner and, uh, and, uh, oh, why am I suddenly blanking on, uh, on her name? Uh, Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson's friendship. Not that they were bad actors or anything. I just, they didn't have the chemistry that I feel like these two have. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we were told more about their friendship than ever saw their friendship. And, uh, I think there were definitely moments that, that, that were there, but I just believe this friendship so much immediately <laughs> that, that these two should be yeah. friends forever. <laughs> and, and and back to like the specific praise for um, Florence Pugh as as Elena in, in like the macaroni and cheese scene, you get and and this is a credit to to Haley Steinfeld in that scene. You get the sense of tension and anxiety and threat that she's presenting as she casually talks about like I'm here to clear 
kill Clint Barton. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that because I don't feel threatened by you. And you can see Haley Steinfeld in that scene tense in her face. Like you're in my house and I feel threatened, right? Like she feels that fear, but then they are also able to have, you know, some goofy banter when they get in the, in the elevator and everything. You're like, okay, they are enjoying being around each other, even though they are, Opponents right now. Right. And yeah, they, they fight and, and, and then they talk about the fight. It. She says something like, stop making me like you. And you is like, I cannot, <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you can tell that Yelena, she's like, I don't need to kill you. And I enjoy talking to you. So I'm not going to like, I could go all out. Yeah, very clearly. Yeah. Cause be. like, like Kate is not the fighter that can stand up to Yelena. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, that she's holding back, but she's like, I like, I'm fighting with you. But I, I'm not going to, like, hurt you, hurt you. I and, do, and Kate's going all out and can't hurt her. Mm-hmm. I do think they do a lot of work to say Kate is a good fighter. And they do so much. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like they could see the complaints coming online about, oh, she's just a Mary Sue from a certain segment of fandom that hate any woman who does stuff instantly, even though male characters do stuff instantly all the time in these movies. <laughs> but you can see them like just really hammering home. She has all these awards. She's been doing this since she was four years old. She, you know, she studied archery since, mm-hmm. since she was a child. She's been in Taekwondo and karate classes since she was a child. So they really do like load in that she has some skills, but it is nothing like a Black Widow assassin training. <laughs> I, and and also they show for for Kate and Clint, and this is you know pulling from the the, the comic book series, like they are wearing bandages all throughout the series, and Yelena does not wear a bandage. Yeah, <laughs> like she does not get hit hard enough where she has to worry about it. But like Kate and Clint, they get roughed up, and they keep having to like patch up and clean their wounds, and and so Kate Bishop has you know band aids and scratches on her face throughout the throughout the entire season like from episode 1 and i am going to just venture right out of my depths and i'm going to drown a little uh as i say i do not know how to describe it but yelena's hair in that last episode was amazing i don't know oh yeah the, the black widow like school some... has like a cosmetology section or if she went somewhere <laughs> but when she's preparing for an assassination <laughs> she did the wildest hairdo I've seen mm-hmm. that did make like a braided, a braided mohawk but fu- functional because it wasn't going to fall out in her face. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's all I had to say there. <laughs> um, let's talk more about Clint. OK, I think and, and like po- positives for Clint. They do a really good job of uh, him g- giving him the pressure and, and the drive and making us as an audience believe his drive to get home, like is the most important thing. Like this is as important to him as fighting Thanos uh, is getting mm-hmm. home for Christmas for his family. And one of my favorite scenes of the series is um, him acting on a phone conversation with his son when his oh. hearing aid is broken and uh, Kate Bishop has to like quickly write. And she has amazing penmanship for a quick scribble. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> she, she, like, she does like a five second scribble and turns into there's like four words perfectly written on the, on the notepad. So mm-hmm. Kate is having to hear on speaker uh, what the son is saying. Cause Clint can't, cause his hearing aid is broken at this point. And he's having to then, uh, you know, act like he's hearing everything right. You know, that his son is saying and, and did it. And Jeremy Renner just nails the emotion of this scene, both like the helplessness that he's feeling because he's not hearing his son when his son is calling because he needs him. Uh, and mm-hmm. also giving all the emotion that he needs to to try and reassure his son and talk him through what his son was going through um, at that moment. It is it was a highlight scene for me. And Jeremy Renner did. Amazing. I, I, I love that scene. Yeah. Um, and I think that scene is really critical 
in cementing the relationship between um, Kate and Clint, Mm -hmm. you know, having her act as that intermediary in essentially like, and like I said, I, I love the scene. And so it makes it hard for me to like think through it and, and talk through it, but like it is an intimate interaction, right? Like a, a like a parent reassuring a child is an intimate interaction mm-hmm. and she is stepping into it to help him out because there's no alternative. Yeah. Right. His son is like four years old. So his son is not going to text him mm-hmm. and he can't hear what's going on. And she immediately you know, sees that he needs help in that situation and tries to communicate what's going on so that he can have that connection. So he doesn't have to, you know, explain everything that's going on or because it's his, his son, you know, he can't explain it. He cannot explain everything that's going on. Yeah. He could with his wife to help him <laughs> to help him deal with this situation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree. I love that scene. I, and I think that's, a highlight scene for, for Jeremy Renner Mm -hmm. because there is all of that like heartbreak of not being able to hear his son, not being able to help immediately knowing that he's about to, like he's going to tell him bad news Mm -hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. And seeing him just like so sad and frustrated. He's like, I just want to get home. I just want to be done with this stuff. And, you know, uh, uh, and, and through this point, he is like, I'm really resistant to Kate. You know, I don't want to build a connection to her because I want to leave and go home. Mm-hmm. And so part of the whole story is, is them building this connection. And then she acknowledges and, and like recognizes, like, I know I'm stepping in, but like I'm helping you. And then I will not talk about this. Mm. You know, like he thanks her and then she walks away. Yeah. Because she knows that he needs to like deal with it. Mm-hmm. And great scene. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in, in the MCU. Uh, another good scene is just there, uh, the, the the little Christmas montage as uh, she's trying to comfort him because his family's having an mm-hmm. every sweater Christmas marathon, uh, and so they they kind of like have a planning session slash we're gonna wear <laughs> ugly Christmas sweaters and have Christmas uh, movies on the TV, and they choose some good ones. Like uh, I mean, it's not subtle, but they've got George Bailey hugging his kids <laughs> in its wonderful life <laughs> on the screen as he's desperate to get home to his family. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought that just the the way they overlaid the Christmas season on this with the music choices, which apparently Matt fraction gave them like a playlist of Christmas songs that he thought would, would be best. And they did sneak in one from the infamous star Wars Christmas album, which is an amazing piece of uh, pop culture. Like the star Wars Christmas special. Everyone has heard of at this point and seen some of the horrifying montages of the worst moments of the star Wars Christmas special. I don't think enough people know about the star Wars Christmas album uh, that was released and has uh, C3PO like doing his ta- a toxing narration <laughs> throughout many parts <laughs> of it. And uh, they had one of the C3PO songs. It has songs like, uh, what do you buy, buy or get a Wookiee for Christmas when he already owns a comb? That is, that's, that's a classic one. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, the way they overlay Christmas, I thought worked really well. And um, it really did just give a sense of propulsion. And, and uh, it, like, it's like the ticking clock countdown of a bomb about to go off is like every day that mm-hmm. goes by on every episode. It's like, Oh, I'm feeling the pressure more feeling the pressure more. Um, and I, th- I think Jeremy Renner really made you feel the stakes of that uh you know that aspect of it and uh, as long as we're like talking about his performances I, like i've already noted i'm not wild about the way they dealt with the ronin side of things but the way they dealt with him grieving natasha and that loss i thought he did amazing with that and i thought that as a motivation mm-hmm. 
landed particularly well. And we have all these characters are dealing with loss in uh, Yelena, also a loss with uh, Natasha, Maya Lopez dealing with the loss of her father, Kate Bishop dealing with the loss of her father. Um, so like loss is a huge, you know, driving force in so many of these characters lives, but in a way that didn't feel sometimes I can start to feel unearned or uh or um like a simplistic like a hand wave motivation like okay here's here's what we're gonna drive them i thought they gave all the characters like gave us enough that we felt all of that you know for each one of them Mm -hmm. um i think the like getting to do that christmas montage and and getting to spend time with different emotional states like high high emotional states and low emotional states and all that sort of stuff is a benefit for doing this as as a mini series and it's not super long it's it's six episodes some of them are only like 35 minutes some are 45 i think yeah it it, you know 30 30 to 40 minutes and so you're dealing with about a movie and a half Mm -hmm. as far as like mcu movies right because they're typically two hours and so this is going to be i mean some of them uh, are like two and a half (laughs) three three to four hours yeah (laughs) yeah so this is going to be three to four hours total um so it really is you know as as much as two films we would say and hawkeye hasn't had any solo films but even if he did if they were making movies they wouldn't have that christmas montage they wouldn't have you know the different ranges of emotional stakes they would have like one or two of them but they'd really be focused on one of them and, right and it would be grieving all the time yeah. right you'd get 30 minutes of of grieving and you wouldn't get any of the happy times. And so I think it actually is a, a major benefit. And this is, I mean, so this is the first of like the original Avengers group that is getting a show, mm-hmm. right? Because all the other shows have been not the core Avengers team from the first Avengers movie. Um, and they all, all the yeah, rest of them all, had, had, had gotten movies. Even Black Widow got, you know, got our movie finally, which it's yeah. ridiculous. And so he's the one long. who didn't have a movie. Yeah. And and so it, it is a different dynamic. I think it's a good benefit to him. Like I, I like Hawkeye more after this series than I liked him in, in any of the movies. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, he was, he, he was never my favorite. He was never my least favorite, but after this series, I'm like, this was really good. And I really like watching Jeremy Renner play Hawkeye in this. Yeah. And, and I mean, it always felt like in the movies because of the nature of his character and his character's role and his character's power set that he was on the periphery of the action. Uh, because mm-hmm. the the big guy, like they would always give him a cool moment, yes, and, and you know some cool shots with with the bow. But the big action set pieces were Captain America doing his his fancy flying, and you know Thor, uh, you know lightning and thunder, and you know that those are where you found your big action set pieces in an Avengers movie. It was never centered on Clint Barton, even if yes, he jumped off the building and it was really cool uh, as he shot, and he shot the one the uh, you know arrow at Loki. That you know they gave him moments always. Uh, but you never felt like he was the core of the action. And in this, you found out he could carry the core of the action, <laughs> you know, in the in the car chase mm-hmm. scene where he had fantastic repartee during, uh, you know, during a big action scene. Um, he during the the fight uh, in, in the last episode, which is maybe overstuffed with too much going on. And also, I don't know where the tracksuit mafia held their recruiting drive the day before this final fight. There's scene. so many of them <laughs> but, after a certain point. I was like, this is too many. Yeah, this, this is like comically many mafia members uh, all getting taken out and going to be arrested and there'll be no tracksuit mafia left. <laughs> like uh, th- their recruiting drive was very successful uh, the, the night before Christmas Eve. Um, but it, it completely worked. Uh, and uh, I liked the like the there's the fight in the KB toy store where you see him both uh, using his bow and arrow, but also his his kind of like 
pseudo martial arts fighting style uh that they've given mm-hmm. that they've given hawkeye um it, it all worked and i mean it's a lot of action sequences across the six episodes that is geared around human level fighting power and trick shot with bows and arrows and it at least for me did not ever feel like repetitive or dull or like this wasn't this wasn't working for me mm-hmm. um and when you're talking about like the the human level and um him dealing with with his own stuff in this it is one of the really the first times in most of the not avengers team up films where i where i can really say yeah i get why nobody else is showing up for this mm-hmm. right cuz a lot of the other ones they try to explain that they're you know everyone has to deal with other stuff everyone's dealing with more important stuff but this one's like no this is really small enough that He's going to deal with it. He's not going to ask anyone else for help and no one else would notice it. Yeah. Like in, in Iron Man three, when they, he disappears, they try to do that. it's like, how does Nick mm-hmm. Fury not know where Iron Man is right now? <laughs> like that's yeah. a lot of, like, like that. And like the, the president it, it came is after being an explosion and, and everything as well. Like, okay, the stakes have become too big for an Iron Man adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even when they, they try to explain that sort of stuff away, like in the, the first of the MCU Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like Tony Stark is involved in what's going on with Spider-Man. He knows exactly what's going on with Spider-Man. And he's always saying like, no, this is, this is too small for the Avengers or me or anything more significant than you Spider-Man to, to be involved with. And like, I look at what's going on in that Spider-Man movie. I was like, I'm pretty sure that a super criminal is stealing government property like super powered technology government property to build more super villain super suits, it. basically. <laughs> yeah, it's like when when does that become an, an Avengers level problem. Yeah. issue? But particularly like, by the big because, finale because the, it's the also third act, uh, when when Happy is yeah. right there with Spider Man. It's like I think Tony needs mm-hmm. to be brought in. <laughs> and and also I look at it, it's like okay, but it's clearly too tough for Spider Man to handle, mm-hmm. and it's relatively small scale so that if iron man did want to handle it he could do it pretty quickly so maybe iron man should just take 20 minutes and and do this i mean it's i I, i'm gonna say this without spoiling any of uh spider-man no way home uh i mentioned i think in our quick cast review of it that um i think it did a good job of like emotional paying emotionally paying off even didn't always logically pay off and mm-hmm. I think storytelling wise, you you make that choice. If if you have to choose one over the other, you serve the emotional payoff, not the logical payoff. Uh, and right, uh, ideally, you're able to do both. And I think the issue with the, the Spider Man movie is like, of course, Spider Man has to be alone here at the end. <laughs> like, like that's just what has mm-hmm. to happen. It's just we kind of omitted some of the logic of how that happened, particularly when Tony Stark was hanging over his shoulder so much early on. Um, mm-hmm. it, it felt but then like with this absence. Hawkeye one, yeah. But but then with Hawkeye, you're like. Mm-hmm. No, it makes total sense. Yeah, this is the absolutely. right level. This is like this is really intense for him, but he can handle it. It's not so big that everyone's going to notice and be drawn in. And it, like, if this at is any not point hit you the radar say, for other people. It was getting so big, uh, like with all the Texas Mafia come at the end. You could say, OK, at this point, some backup maybe should come. But also this is happening so fast they can't, though. You do have to wonder mm-hmm. where the New York City police were. <laughs> when, because that yeah. last fight dragged on for a good while with more and more mafia you know heading onto the rink at the rockefeller center with with no there, side of authorities there's maybe a chance that everyone else would be like texting clint to ask what's going on when a giant arrow <laughs> showed up on the bridge it's like okay like 
this is going to be on the news. And like Captain America is going to notice that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, Fal- I think Falcon is going like- to be Falcon, Falcon, Captain America is going to be like, Hey, Clint, I've got your number. And like, clearly you did a thing. I'm trying to think. Cause uh, in the old days, it would have been Steve Rogers, like instantly, like I'm going to need a full report. Uh, here's the paperwork. I need it filled out in triplicate. <laughs> and filed mm-hmm. here, here, and here. Uh, so who's going to take over? We need that this role? documented for for the Avengers because I love Avengers bureaucracy. In the comics, whenever they dig up Avengers bureaucracy, the, the I, bylaws. Oh, I am here for the Avengers bylaws. <laughs> I will <laughs> always, always adore an episode where some of the tension comes from a bureaucratic bylaw that was written in by the UN Charter that allows the Avengers mm-hmm. to function. That they've got to have a certain number of members. And like, oh, we're we're down an active member. We we now have got to go on a recruiting trip. Give me the screen of oh. the faces of who could be called in uh let's determining see active members yes <laughs> so so good it reminds me that so um young justice is is something that kester and i have been watching on hbo max and there is an episode and i like i have no reason why i should enjoy this episode so much but young justice is you know a lot of the teenage sidekicks of, of justice league characters but then the justice league is in the show mm-hmm. and there is an episode where the b plot is constantly cutting back to the Justice League at their conference table discussing potential new Justice League members. I need to watch and, this. I've not watched any Young Justice then, ever. I will go watch this one episode now. Like, I'm going to leave this recording. And then <laughs> debating debating some of the current members is like, well, we found out that this member was lying to us. They're so all lying. Should we be kicking, <laughs> should right we be kicking them? <laughs> yeah, should we be kicking them off, off the league? And Batman, being the chairman, you know, standing up and saying, no. Captain Marvel is a founding member of the Justice League and he's entitled to his vote until or unless we vote him out at this meeting. And <laughs> like, so he gets, we've got and, parliamentary <laughs> procedure happening. <laughs> yeah, it's like like we're not going to kick him out right now. Like everyone's going to have their votes later on and we're deciding on, on new members. And that's something that you don't get in the Avengers movies is <laughs> like the idea that we have been sitting at like that we have business meetings mm-hmm. and we are sitting in conference rooms trying to figure out what's going on and maybe we'll get some of that at some point, but in the comic books, they would do that stuff all the time, right? Like there's so many extra members of the fantastic four because they're down a member and they need someone. They always have a four. It's right in their name. They're going to get a fourth. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we got to call someone in had everyone who's been a member of the fantastic four show up uh, for something. It's like 50 people. Oh, it's so good. And and like Iceman is showing up and human torch is like, you've never been a member. He's like, it happened. And and like, they like they'd show in between panels when Iceman joined the fantastic four and one, like one plot line, like Dan Slott is like, referencing a very specific like moment when Iceman mm-hmm. could have joined the Fantastic Four. <laughs> well, and and in the comic books, it's been such a thing that like you talk to comic book fans and they will have favorite secondary, you know, or backup Avengers or Fantastic Four characters. Like when I think backup Fantastic Four, I immediately think of She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. And I've never read a Fantastic Four where She-Hulk was on the team. See, it's a more recent one, but, but I really did enjoy the uh, Black Panther Storm era. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel Wait, like classic like, like She-Hulk. She-Hulk does feel you like know, a classic You know stuff. sometimes where like someone was on the team for five issues, mm-hmm. but that is a big deal. And then you get these things with the Avengers where, you know, there's the original team, there's the founding team. And then there's like, okay, but if you and I are going to go back and forth from the comic books, like the founding team is not necessarily like the most quintessential no, Avengers team. That's not the team. A-team of like, Avengers. Like when you think of, when you think of <laughs> Avengers – it's it's not going to be the Avengers that we see in the movies like I have. And this is it predates me. But when I think of the Avengers being referenced in comic books that I was reading, 
Beast and Wonder Man mm-hmm. are core Avengers members. Yeah, and that's they like from critical. A, like, and they they appeared in more Avengers stories. Run? Is that like a twenty issue run where Beast was? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how long it is. It's but sometime like, in the like two hundreds. But they might be in more Avengers stories than Iron Man. <laughs> I oh, I don't think because I well, I, it Maybe feels not. it feels like not that long ago. But Iron Man has become a core member that hasn't left the Avengers for it's probably now it's twenty true. years. Um, and you, but he was floating off in some other teams, West Coast Avengers, Force Works for a little yeah. while. Uh, but he's been mm-hmm. like at the core for again. It's that recency bias thing where it's like, well, it feels fairly recent. Yeah. So it's probably five years, but it's probably been a good fifteen years that he has been an undeniable like core member of the of the Avengers. But you would think that he would have been a core member for the first 30 years. Right. Uh, which which was like, no, Iron Man is not really. He's, like a, a, he's, he's not going to always be there in the Avengers stories in the 80s and 90s. And it feels so weird to say, but he was one reason why Marvel had the rights for him for the MCU was because he was a B-level, B-level character and studios didn't care about Iron Man rights. feels so strange to say now mm-hmm. uh, after Robert Downey Jr.'s turn <laughs> as Iron Man. Uh, but mm-hmm. but. Even in the comic books, he was not one of the the core A list uh, characters that Mar- Marvel had. Anyway, Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> right. I will just say, in talking this out and thinking about it, I'm at this weird place where I like the show more and less at the same time. Like the things that I <laughs> like, I like even more. Like I want to go watch all the scenes with Elaine and Kate again. I want to go see some of Jeremy Renner's performance. Um, I love some of the action. You want to watch Jack Duquesne from the beginning. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, oh, did, we never saw Jack Duquesne and Yelena together. I think that would be amazing, too. Um, <laughs> but the stuff that bothers me, I think bothers me even more than it did before. <laughs> like all those nits I was going to pick. Like, uh, it, mm-hmm. it really, like the, the last episode, it really is trying to do more than it it's able to. And so many plots don't inter- intersect the way I think they needed to to feel like the right emotional payoff had been achieved. Uh, so... I think I I actually I'm going to say overall, I like it the same amount as before. It's just the the, the wave. It's just more extreme, more extreme. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts about Hawkeye? Um, I am, I think more than any of the other Marvel TV series, I'm looking forward to a rewatch. I, I will say that as like a major point. I don't know if I think it's like necessarily the best or the most significant or it's going to have the biggest impact, but it's the one that I'm most inclined to put on again. And I think it and really I'm looking forward to that probably probably for the holiday season. I was going to say uh, setting it at Christmas gives it a very natural rewatchability, um, both because people are going to have like that initial hit is going to feel like having Christmas decorations up around town and Christmas music playing on the radio nonstop, you, you know, even on stations, you don't think should be Christmas stations. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be part of like the, the time in between episodes was all that Christmas stuff, but then you actually also watch it and it has the Christmas stuff right there on it. So uh, I wouldn't mind like a uh, Christmas themed Marvel miniseries hitting during the holidays pretty regularly, <laughs> like just an adventure that happens to take place during Christmas time would uh you, you know the, I, it feels like the goal is to always have something new hitting in the nerd uh culture side of disney plus mm-hmm. uh and so they need something in december let's have it be uh you know an ant-man adventure that happens to be at christmas <laughs> and, and he's got to fight on a christmas tree uh, i think mm-hmm. that could be a stunning set piece let's let's have it i i would not be shocked if 10 years from now it is beast and wonder man getting their team up <laughs> 
uh yeah i mean a, a few things have to have to happen uh they've finally got yeah, so units. Not, i will say not in the next five years but maybe in 10 years as far as like fan speculation and like the discussion around it i didn't i feel like we've actually moved past some of the the early early disney plus stuff which was uh, to a degree self-induced like when you had um mm-hmm. the fox quicksilver show up in in wandavision like you're inviting fans to say mutants are they introducing mutants and it was a little frustrating bait and switch <laughs> when it, when it mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, but it, so you're telling me that throughout this series, you were not looking forward to like, oh, it's going to be Mephisto. Oh, the big man. It's Mephisto. Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> there was none of that. Uh, so so maybe we've got it out of our system or maybe we just knew Hawkeye wasn't the place for mutants or Mephisto to be introduced. <laughs> hard, hard to say which. Maybe a little of both. What uh, is, is She-Hulk the next or is it Miss Marvel? Oh. What's or Moon Knight? I think one of those Miss three. Marvel is Miss Marvel is like finished. I think Moon Knight is finished filming. I don't know about editing, but yeah, I think so. So Miss Marvel was the earliest one in production, and so I'm confident that that's going to be the first one that we see. So right now, Disney Plus is giving us Book of Boba Fett. They have not announced what would start dropping after Book of Boba Fett, and that maybe I they- think it's going to be Miss Marvel. I think I think that's like March would be my guess. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's like confirmed, but so there'd be a little gap. Maybe they like they do the classic network move of writing out the Winter Olympics and not dropping new content then. Uh, and then maybe Miss Marvel mm-hmm. starts up after the Winter Olympics or something. And also, yeah. even though they have tons of shows in production, I don't think they have quite the critical mass yet to really go like the next 52 weeks with the new episode every week. Um, I mean, there is a chance that they could do a, another Star Wars one because Andor or Kenobi should be pretty set. But if they do those, they're going to have a long gap between Star Wars stuff and they do not have a Star Wars movie coming. So I think they're trying to space stuff out a little more carefully than they did when they dropped Solo in May mm-hmm. after dropping a film in December. They don't want to. I mean, there, <laughs> like there is no word on the next Star Wars movie. No, I mean, there's rumors that they I, they, I don't think there's anything in production. I think like it's at scripts at best. It would be Rogue One, but or uh, Rogue Squadron, I mean, uh, rumor. I mean, there are already rumors that that's having to be moved around because of her schedule. Uh, slash mm-hmm. uh, sexist fanboys saying good a, a woman's not going to direct Star Wars but I, I hope that's not the Ugh. case <laughs> um, yeah yeah I, I and I Wonder Woman 2 wasn't my favorite I'd still love to see a Patty Jenkins Star Wars movie so yeah uh, like I want I want to see that yeah that Rogue Squadron movie Um, I think that was the one that was closest to like actually starting earnest production mm-hmm. out of all the various things that we've heard but yeah and some, some we know knows. I've been scrapped because like the uh there was the the Game of Thrones. Game of one. Thrones ones are done uh, because they signed the giant mm-hmm. Netflix deal. And also no one really wanted that after the games of Thrones. Game of Thrones finale. The Ryan Johnson is me. Backburnered while he's doing like, Knives Out. But at the very least. But still, I think going. But to don't Evan, be surprised if it disappears. Kevin Feige is supposed to be direct or, or producing one, but no producing word one. on a director or what the plot would be. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, and then Patty Jenkins uh, Rogue Squadron. Right. That's what we had announced. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so, I think it's good for the franchise to take a breather. Uh, I think it was good mm-hmm. for Marvel to have a breather yeah. after after Endgame. So I, I don't mind this, but I think they're going to be I'm careful starting... in how they space out the Disney Plus stuff. You know, you don't want to burn all your Star Wars content yeah. too quickly. I'm starting to feel ready for Marvel to like pick back up. So, like, I feel like I've gotten my breather, which was not necessarily Marvel's choice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they but, would not have given us like, breather, but I think it was good. I've, I've gotten my breathers. So I'm like, OK, like start pulling some pieces together, like get a big threat that you're going to have to do a team up movie for because well, because they have not right, announced. Right. That's what it's going to be, because, yeah, it, well, they've announced like what it's going to be, but they haven't built significantly towards it. 
So I don't know when or how we're going to get an Avengers five or what it's going to be called. Cause that was not listed on the slate, right? They talked about, you know, Dr. Strange and quantum mania and black Panther and all these things. It's like, yeah, but you haven't put the next Avengers film on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there were several untitled Marvel project. Uh, One of those has to be a next generation of Avengers. Right. And probably Mm -hmm. I would guess a mix of, like some of the newer ones, like, uh, you know, War Machine will still be hanging around. Captain Marvel will still be hanging around. Hulk may mm-hmm. still be hanging around. Thor's always seems to be up. <laughs> you know, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll let those paychecks keep rolling in. Uh, but, you know, but then, uh, you know, Kate Bishop and Yelena and uh, who else? Oh, maybe the twins from WandaVision. They, they're like, they're, they're not really there yet, but they're teased. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Yeah. Well, and and I mean. They're dealing with time travel. They're dealing with the multiverse. So they could just really smash some things together and make big changes on the next one. Yeah. Did you see the Doctor Strange trailer? Yeah. Was that Doctor Strange from What If when he went bad? That was in the trailer. I assume so, but I don't think that's confirmed. Right. But but that's... oh, America Chavez, another young Avenger. Oh, right. Yeah. And uh, Patriot. Uh, he, he was on Has screen. Been... Not as. Yeah, he's been in- introduced ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Anyway, this has gotten extremely geeky <laughs> and off topic. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. I forgot the rest of the outro. Let me give that a fresh read, Andrew. <laughs> I, was, and- <laughs> I was like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll press stop. <laughs> anyway, this has gotten particularly geeky in a way that I'm sure has lost some of the audience. And also, we're very off topic. Thank you for listening. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jadorowski. And producer Andrew is at DizMinute, which, whenever this drops, there should be a new season of, of DizMinute, at least in, in process. So keep an eye on I that, on so. that the, uh, Disney Animation Minute Essentials feed, because some new stuff should be coming out. Uh, Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. (laughs) If I say one more thing that I'm wasting our, our, our content. All right.